Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The need for social distancing intensifies. So many people are turning to video conferencing for things like work, education, socializing, and more. Too soon? I know, but bear with me. Because among all the other unprecedented first-time-in-history moments we have experienced over the past few years, the boom in video conferencing was one of the biggest. Use of video conferencing to conduct meetings skyrocketed in 2020. Zoom alone went from an estimated 10 million daily meeting participants in December of 2019 to 300 million by April 2020. Many are turning to technology to learn and stay connected. For Zoom, the crisis has been a boon. After TikTok, it's the second most downloaded app in the world. Zoom stock is listed on the NASDAQ. It's one of the rare stocks to pop amid the coronavirus outbreak. While the broader markets have tanked in recent weeks, Zoom's shares have soared. You'd almost think Zoom invented video conferencing, but of course, we all know that Skype predated Zoom and, well, WebEx and others predated those. In fact, the roots of video conferencing go pretty far back. Now we're connected audio. You can see my work. You can point at it. I can see your face and we can talk. So let's do some collaborating. You're silent. <laughs> oh. What do you want me to say? Yeah. There's nobody here but a large audience, Bill. That's Douglas Engelbart demonstrating his version of video conferencing in the mother of all demos back in 1968. Pretty far back, right? It was one of the many elements of that demo that would become a real product. Maybe faster than you think. AT&T launched the first true video conferencing system on June 30th, 1970, which means I'm two days older than video conferencing. Anybody could subscribe to AT&T's service in their home or office. You just had to have the money. But the roots of video conferencing go even farther back than that. As soon as the telephone was patented in 1876, people began imagining telephonoscopes and electroscopes and video telephones. Basically, what if we had video along with the audio on a telephone? Reality lagged a little behind their imagination. Let's give Ernest Hummel some credit. He was able to transmit still images using his teleteograph as early as 1895. That was limited to images that could be made in shellac on foil, so we're not talking photographs, but it was something. 
1913, Edouard Berlin's Berlinograph used a photo cell, and by 1921, Western Union had launched the wire photo service, which could transmit photos over phone lines. These took more than a minute per image at the time, so no, you weren't going to use those for video. Of course, one-way video came along as television, but it took until 1930 for AT&T to develop a two-way television telephone system, as they called it. The systems were not terribly practical, though. They transmitted low-resolution black-and-white video over telephone lines, and calling them videos a bit of a stretch. They were basically a series of still images. AT&T was trying to figure out how to do this over its copper phone lines. But what if you didn't have to use phone lines? Dr. George Schubert developed the first public video telephone service, not exactly video conferencing, but the ability for you to talk to somebody and see their face at the same time using coaxial cable. Those are the cylindrical cables probably most people are familiar with from cable TV. It launched on March 1st, 1936, connecting two closed-circuit televisions by coaxial cable in post offices in Berlin and Leipzig, Germany. Those are about 160 kilometers apart. It had 150 lines of resolution at 25 frames per second, 150p, and it worked. By 1938, Berlin, Leipzig, Hamburg, Nuremberg, and Munich each had two video telephone booths in their main post office. If you wanted to do a video call, uh, two people would each visit the booth in their local post office at the same time. There were plans to expand further, but sadly, those ended with the start of the war, World War II, in 1939. And in fact, Nazi Germany shut down the system in 1940 so it could be used for telegraph and broadcast TV, which were considered more essential to the war effort. There was a similar post office-based system developed in France in the 1930s as well, which also suffered the same fate of being shut down because of the war. Meanwhile, AT&T kept working on video phones over telephone lines. The Picture Phone Mod 1 used a small oval case. You may have seen this in, in, in reels about video phones. It was on a swivel stand meant to be put on a desk. Uh, AT&T demonstrated the Mod 1 at the New York World's Fair in 1964, making a video call between New York and Disneyland in Anaheim, California. AT&T opened its first public video phone booths later that year. A lot of people don't realize it went from a demo at a World's Fair to a commercial product you could go use. They got First Lady Lady Bird Johnson to do the inauguration of those public video phone booths. You can find them in New York, Washington, D.C., and Chicago. Each participant in a call had to reserve a time, then you visited the booth to make your call. Calls cost $16 to $27 per three minutes. In 2023 dollars, that's like somewhere between $150 and $260. It was too expensive. And the booths closed four years later in 1968. The same year, Douglas Engelbart demonstrated his computer-based video conferencing in The Mother of All Demos. Well, AT&T took up that cue from Engelbart and launched Mod 2 in 1970. This was more like a video phone. This was video conferencing. Anyone could be connected to the system. You didn't have to go find a booth. Pittsburgh Mayor Peter Flaherty made the first Mod 2 video call on June 30th, 1970 to Alcoa CEO John Harper. 
Service launched for everybody the next day, July 1st, 1970, with 38 picture phones located across eight companies in Pittsburgh. It wasn't cheap either. A set cost $150 to install and $160 a month to use. You could get additional sets if you had one for only $50 a month each. And you got bundled in 30 minutes of calling per month with that. Extra minutes would cost you 25 cents a minute. Your resolution was 250 scan lines, 250p, of black and white video. Customers for the service peaked at 453 in early 1973, and AT&T decided that was not enough growth, and it discontinued the service later that year. Now, when you look at the history of video conferencing, you often see compression labs cited. It was seen as an AT&T competitor that would pick up that baton, but it was even more expensive. In 1982, it launched the CLI-T1, the first commercial group video conferencing system, so you could have multiple people in one video conference, true video conferencing, for $250,000 to install and calls available at $1,000 an hour. And that still wasn't digital video conferencing. It was still pretty much just a phone call with video shoehorned in. To do what we think of as video conferencing, you'd need digital video compression. And to do digital video compression, you needed math. Victory Week in Delhi brings a tribute from all the peoples of India to their valiant sons who fought and fell on the great battlefields of the Second World War. Anil K. Jain was born in India in 1946, right as the war that had shut down Germany's big video phone experiment ended. Jane received a degree in electrical engineering at the Indian Institute of Technology in 1967 and a PhD from the University of Rochester in 1970, the same year AT&T launched its video phone. Jane developed the math that would mean you don't need dedicated units. He worked on something called transform coding, image compression, and block-based motion compensation for video compression. And video compression meant all you needed was a camera and the internet to do what these big, expensive systems in Germany and AT&T were trying to do. By 1981, Jane was at the University of California at Davis and published a paper that year combining his block-based motion compensation with transform coding. That paper inspired two students at MIT, Brian L. Hinman and Jeffrey G. Bernstein, to work on a way to compress video so it could be used over the internet. And by 1984, along with their professor David H. Stalin, they founded Pictel, which they later renamed Picturetel to distinguish it from Pactel, the Bell Telephone Company. And Pictel's, I'm sorry, Picturetel's first product was a video codec, the C2000 the first commercial implementation of a compressor-decompressor of its kind. Building on Jane's math, the C2000 analyzed the motion between the frames, the motion compensation, the block motion compensation, meaning it could work with much less data than an algorithm that treated each frame of video independently. It analyzed that motion it transformed it. Hey, remember all those slowly transmitted still images we were talking about back in the early 20th century? Well, to kind of oversimplify, the C2000 let you get by on fewer still images and then make up what came in between. So it looked like smooth video motion without needing as much data. 
In practice, that meant you could do video over a 128-bit-per-second ISDN line instead of needing fixed location lines. Most video compression standards for two-way video are based on this math, this kind of implementation, this motion compensation and transform coding way of doing things. That includes the pervasive H.264 codec. PictureTel marketed its codec and eventually used it in its own software called LiveShare Plus for Windows 3.1. PictureTel did well. In fact, AT&T, who had at this point given up on building those big machines, used PictureTel's codec for an international video conference in 1989. Now, Hinman went on to found a separate teleconferencing company called Polycom in 1990, and Polycom actually bought PictureTel in October 2001. All right, so we have the video codec. We can send the video over the internet. The next step for video conferencing is a camera. And the pioneers for that were motivated by coffee. Guess what coffee they serve at tea? 100% Colombian coffee, handpicked by Juan Valdez, the richest coffee in the world. Yes, the British drink coffee. And at the Cambridge Computer Lab in 1991, the coffee machine was in a separate room. Ah, many were the agonies of a computer lab user trudging all the way to the Trojan coffee room only to find it empty. Ah, why did I make the trip? Agony. Well, Quentin Stafford Fraser and Paul Jardetsky had a solution. They connected a video capture card to an Acorn Archimedes computer and a 128 by 128 grayscale camera and pointed it at the coffee pot so you could check if it was worth the trip. At first, it was delivered to the local network, but in 1993, web browsers got the ability to display images. So the camera was connected to the internet to make it easier to access on any computer in the lab. You didn't have to configure it for the network. You you, you just pointed your web browser at the right page. Daniel Gordon and Martin Johnson made it available over HTTP, and it became the first webcam. It still wasn't two-way video, though, so here we go again. Another technician in a college saves the day. Tim Dorsey worked in IT at Cornell University. He used this new video codec technology and the internet protocol system to write C-U-C-Me. That's the letter C, the letter U, and then dash C-Me with two E's. C-U-C-Me for the Mac in 1992. Eventually it came to Windows too. You could put it on any machine and connect to any other machine that used it over the internet. That way you didn't have to set up a server for your video. Just install the software and start calling. It only did video at first, actually, but they added audio in 1994 thanks to Maven, a client developed at the University of Illinois. A National Science Foundation project called Global Schoolhouse made CUCME available to the public on April 26, 1963, and it caught on. CUCME was used by WXYC Radio in Chapel Hill, North Carolina to simulcast its radio broadcast on the internet. That made it the first internet radio station. And ABC's World News Now became the first TV program to stream live on the internet on November 23rd, Thanksgiving Day morning, 1995. And that was really the last step we needed. Some innovative math and a smart codec implementation meant you didn't need those huge specialized machines, just a server. A bit of coffee-motivated ingenuity meant you didn't need a big expensive camera. 
And then some clever software coding meant you didn't even need the server. From here on, video conferencing exploded. Microsoft entered the chat with NetMeeting, and as bandwidth increased the amount of video conferencing software from Skype to GoToMeeting and beyond, increased right along with it. So much so, in fact, that Eric Yon had a hard time getting funding for his startup SASB when he left Cisco in 2011. Now, it wasn't because of the name. It was because everybody thought the market was saturated. Yon eventually prevailed on a few folks. He got his funding. And a year later, in May 2012, reportedly influenced by the children's book Zoom City, he changed the company's name to Zoom. It took a few years, but things worked out for Yon. And now, many of us work using Zoom or some other kind of video conferencing technology from home. I hope this gives you some of the historical perspective of how we got to this world of working from home and Zoom fatigue. In other words, I hope you know a little more about video conferencing. Know a Little More is available without ads to direct supporters at patreon.com slash more. It was researched, written, and hosted by me, Tom Merritt. Editing and production provided by Anthony Lamos and Dog and Pony Show Audio. It's issued under a Creative Commons Share Attribution 4.0 international license. Dog and Pony Show Audio. 